Stephen, can you volunteer one of your men to share what they discussed or what they learned? All right, Andy, what a manly man. Can you help us provide a volunteer? All right. Welcome, Danny. All right, so yeah, we discussed this passage, and um, I'll just go ahead and read it again. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this is a really uh, an address to the children, and we're called to obey our parents in the Lord, and we're called to honor our fathers and mothers. And what that, or what we've kind of interpreted uh, that to mean is, you know, when we're honoring our fathers and mothers, um, we're called to uh, give weight to what they say and really respect and esteem uh, the things that they share uh, with us in our lives. And uh, there's a promise that's attached to it in verse 3. It says that it may go well with you. And that you may, um, or actually, let me go back in verse two. So it kind of harkens back to um, the Ten Commandments that was given uh, to Moses on Mount Sinai. So uh, it's kind of a reference back to uh, the law in the Old Testament. And there's a promise that uh, is linked to honoring our fathers and mothers. It says uh, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So um, when, when uh, the Israelites were kind of given the law in the Old Testament, there was always a blessing and a cursing uh, that was attached to obeying the law. So um, this kind of uh, goes back to that uh, blessing and cursing that, you know, if uh, children's if they obey their parents and they honor their fathers and mothers, that um, there's a blessing that it will go well with them. Um, and in verse 4, there's a charge to the fathers um, to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and not to provoke them to anger. Um, because uh, I, I guess, you know, it, it would be easy for... For fathers to provoke their children to anger because, um, you know, discipline is something that is um, something that is tough to do. But, um, you know, it's something that is necessary for fathers to raise up their children in the discipline of the Lord. So. All right. Thank you, Danny. On the theme of family relationships, Julie, can you suggest somebody from your t- Huh? Oh, what a shame. Could you, could you suggest another group then? How about Katrina's group? Huh? 
I have a lot of notes. So one of the things that we talked about um, is that the roles of the children to obey their parents and the parents to um, bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord, um, these two roles are ordained by God, and it's not uh, dependent on whether the parents are uh, perfect. Um, And so uh, children are still to obey their imperfect parents. And imperfect parents are to um, bring up their children, um, bring up their imperfect children in the disciplines and instruction of the Lord. And um, yeah, there's a lot of things I ever talked about. I don't have my Bible with me, so I can't share the cross-references, but um, there's many. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and also, um, we also discussed from the verse 1 that the phrase for this is right and how it was, um, it's, it was an idea of um, how it was like actually written in our hearts. So even like societies uh, kind of understand this concept that it is right for children to obey their parents. Yeah, that's all I have. Thank you, Danny and Tracy. All right, let's go to the word in prayer and ask him to bless our time together. Dear Father God, we thank you again for this time that we can congregate as a local church, to study your word, and in particular to this area of our lives, our family relationships. Not only those within the home, but those that we would share together as a local church body. May you help us to understand and have hearts that are ready to receive and to submit to what, you're, what you would call us to do in this context of children and parents. And may we receive your word with joy and delight and also with humility as you reveal to us how we fall short and what areas we need to change and repent of in order that you would be all the more glorified in our lives and in the lives of those around us. May we desire your will, not our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, everybody. So hopefully this, that was a um, provoking and um, encouraging time to get into Word, discussing the, um, these topics. It's only four verses, so it's very easily accessible, very straightforward and clear. But as we're reminded again, God cares about what happens in our homes and cares about not only what happens inside our homes, but cares about what we think of um, our homes, our family relationships. God takes time to address that. It, that doesn't happen by accident. In other words, we have to remember that this is an area of our lives that needs to be right before God, that we want to make, um, that we want to set in order in terms of how we conduct and how we protect the family relationships within our home. This comes after our husband-wife relationships, which comes after our individual identities in Christ. But it is also directly addressed, our parents and children relationships. And so we would do well to 
to pay attention to and to understand clearly what this passage is calling us to obey and follow after. As was, as was alluded to as well, we need to be careful because our ideas of what is a right family and how we are to conduct ourselves within the family will be attacked by Satan, both on the outside from society and expectations of family, attitudes towards family, and also on the inside, the challenges and the difficulties in actually following through and living holy family relationships and holy lives. And so let's go to the word and see what God has to say. And what, it, what immediately jumps out at us, and what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through the passage. We're going to look at the first part addressed towards children, verses 1 through 3, and look at the second part, verse 4. And then after that, we'll, we'll wrap everything up and put in a nice little bow so that we can take this home and um, share it with one another. But what, what is immediately interesting in this passage is that God, through Paul, directly addresses children. There's an expectation that children are supposed to hear and receive the word of God. And that's, that's profound. God, this is Paul, a learned scholar in the word. He knows so much and he takes time to address the children. God cares about what our children do, what they think, and how they in particular treat their parents. And this all flows under, as we'll see later, a broader understanding of God's um, God's desire and God's purpose in, in providing child-parent relationships. In particular, children are called, first of all, to obey their parents. And I'm sure you had many conversations about this. It's not hard to understand, and I, think that, I don't think that's where we struggle. Obey is very clear. This is talking about the action of obedience. There's no contingencies. It doesn't say, obey your parents if it makes sense to you. It doesn't say... Children, obey your parents when it's convenient for you. This is simply just obey your parents. It's an, it's an imperative. There's no if, and, or buts. It's not optional, except for what immediately follows. And those are the all-important words in the Lord. This is what protects the obedience to parents, the children's um, obedience to the authority of parents, from being a tyranny from being something that defies God, from being something that abuses the children. So in the protection of in the Lord, children are to obey their parents. What this goes back to, or what it refers back to, is the idea in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, where it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. That's powerful, right? That's tying the authority of parents over their children to, the, uh, to other authorities in general that God has placed in our lives, to God being the one that has not only instituted those authorities in our lives. It's, in other words, it's not an accident who your parents are. It's not an accident who your president is. It's not an accident who your um, boss or who your um, different governing authorities are in your life. But instead, those are in place for God's purposes and those who resist what God has appointed and are outside the scope of what is in the Lord will incur judgment. There's a consequence and there's a penalty to defying disobedience. So this is a serious matter. 
And this is not self-focused or self-defined, but it's all in the Lord. And you could even say this is for the Lord's glory, right? We understand this in the context of Scripture. So to reiterate, parents are given to children to be their governing authority as a grace of God from the Lord. We need to be perfectly clear about that. That's the, whole, that's the intention from the very beginning. Parents are, are, as a gift of God, to be a governing authority in the Lord, from the Lord, to their children. And we'll, we'll revisit that in, in verse 4. This talks about in the Lord is, is, again, protecting that obedience that's required from children. And that's the standard of not only the authority that is to be given or imposed or put upon the children, but that's also to defining what is the obedience that is to meet or um, respond to that authority. It's the degree of that obedience. That's, it's the manner of that obedience, the motivation of that obedience. It's how you obey. All of that matters to God. Now, as we know, it's very clear that obedience can never contradict God's explicit will because it must be in the Lord. And it doesn't excuse us from obeying commands or instructions that we personally dislike, right? It means that this can be challenging. This can be inconvenient. It can go against our preferences. And... We'll talk about that more later. It's, it's also going to be especially challenging when your parents are not in the Lord, right? And so, so we'll definitely take time to talk about that, but that doesn't excuse us from the very clear command that children are to obey their parents and that that should be not only the practice but also the desire for each one of us in our families and the desire for, uh, that we would have for all people inside our church especially. And what is the reason for this? It's very specific, and it's very clear. And it's wonderful in how, how God, um, I guess, ties this back to his character. He says simply, the reason for disobedience in the Lord is simply because this is right. Period. End of thought. And that's really all the reason why we would need, um, we would need to know why we ought to obey our parents. It's because God's not only instituted this relationship of parents and children, but because this is the right thing to do. And if we want to honor God, and, if we, and God's revelation has been this clear, our obedience should be that much, should respond in, in, same, in the same manner. This is in keeping with God's law and his character. That's what the idea of right is. Everything's in place. This is, the, this is what's consistent with who God is. And so that should be enough. Hosea chapter 14 verse 9 says, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. Right? God doesn't contradict himself. What God requires of us does not go against his character. The verse goes on and says, And the upright walk in them, but the transgressors stumble in them. Right? There's only two options that we have when the word of God is revealed. Those, there will be those that will walk in his ways, that walk in his path. Those that are upright. Those are the ones that are blessed. And then there will be the other group, those that will transgress. Those will try to escape. Those will try to find ways to go around the law of God, to try to find loopholes through the, um, through the word of God. 
and they will stumble because you cannot defy what the law of God and what the revealed will of God so clearly describes. You're going to fail. You're going to stumble. And as was promised earlier on, you will also incur the judgment of the Lord. This is the right way to go for children to obey their parents, very simply. Now, it's simple, but it's not always simple to follow through, right? I I have children, if you don't know, know me. My name is Teddy. I'm married to a wonderful woman named Naomi. We have three wonderful, beautiful children who are all unredeemed sinners. And so when I ask my children to finish your meal that your mother has slaved over to provide for you, to nourish you for your own good, and they don't obey, that's an obedience problem. right? They've defied me and, and their mother. That in and of itself should be enough. They should, they should listen to those instructions. It's in the law. It's for their own good. And yet there's this underlying sin nature that gets revealed whenever the law of God is, is made clear, right? The whole purpose of the law isn't to provide a means by which we may be saved before God. Really, God brings the law in order for us to see our sin nature butt up against that. And we see that clearly in the roles of parents and children. I ask my children, not ask, I tell them, this is your bedtime, go to bed. What do you think they do? I wish, if, I, if somebody told me, this is your bedtime, go to bed. Yes, please, right? But then even then, I, if I'm honest, you know, take my phone, you know, it's easy to just waste a few minutes, hours, right? If we're honest with ourselves, there's a tendency to want to do that, but we know what's right. With children, when I ask my parents to go to, um, with children, when I ask my children to go to sleep, right? As their parent, this is what is good for them. They need sleep. They will be cranky. They are cranky when they don't get enough sleep. And yet there will be the complaining. Oh, can I play with these toys a little bit more? Can I do this a little bit more? Or, oh, that's not fair. How come they get to do, no, this other child gets to do X, Y, and Z? That's not how things are supposed to work. It should be, this is right for children to obey their parents. Ultimately, because... This is fostering an attitude of submitting to the authority of God and as that is wherever that is rightly manifested in their lives. We can go into more and more um, illustrations, but just for the sake of time, just put that there. It should be, that should be something we recognize, that obedience to godly authority is right and it is good and we should desire that. And it's not just the focus upon the actions, but verses 2 through 3 help flesh that out. It's also our attitudes. And that's really the heart of the issue in verses 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother. It's really focusing upon your attitude. It's not just what you do in response to the authority, but it's your attitude towards the authorities that God has given to you. Given to you. The, the, um, just the description that's the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. That's an additional, maybe, um, reasons that are given there for our children to obey their parents. But that's all in addition to, for this is right. And it speaks to the natural blessing associated with, a, with obedience to parents, right? When my children defy my authority, 
and they, they decide that they can come out of their rooms at nighttime and join in whatever I'm doing. Um, that's defined my authority in terms of setting boundaries of what is, when is time to be asleep, when is time to be awake, when is time to get rest, when is time to, have, um, to play, when is time to eat. Right? It's Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a season for all things. That's an expression of that. But yet when they defy those things, they're, they're harming my relationship with them. They're saying that they don't need to fit into that category as my children. They're, they're trying to create another category where they can be, whether it's a friend, a peer, maybe even exercise authority over me and say, I'm doing things wrong, which sometimes I am, but um, that's not the heart of this passage. What it's saying is that honoring your father and mother in verses 2 and 3 is their attitude. And when they, when they follow after that, when they practice that, that helps our relationship. And when they defy that, our relationship needs to be repaired in addition to the transgression against the authority of God in their lives. So, for example, if I'm telling my kids, you need to finish your meal, and instead my child decides to throw the food at me and then run away from the table, we not only have a disobedience issue, but now we have a broken relationship issue, right? A little bit childish, but that's, that, that's sometimes what happens. Parents are, to children are relationship ordained by God. The family is ordained by God to be the vessel or the unit within society by which the person of God, the image of God, is proclaimed and propagated throughout the generations, right? There's the propagation of, of, um, from one generation to the next. But as image bearers, Adam and Eve were also called to steward the garden, to um, subdue the creation, Right? And that's really speaking to bringing all things into conformity or into the, the right honoring and worship of God. And that's the ongoing directive that is given to parents. And that's what we see moving on into verse 4. Parents don't just have license, free license, to exhort or to rule the, their home as their own kingdom. They don't get to make um, their children into little versions of themselves. That happens Naturally, but that's not what's supposed to happen. What's supposed to happen is that these children are supposed to be brought up in a very specific way. And that's addressed in the second half of verse 4. Bring them up into discipline and instruction of the Lord. Right? That's the whole goal of what's happening um, in a parent-child relationship. From one generation to the next, the success criteria in the eyes of God is that there will be an ongoing and enduring testimony of God as measured by discipline, so adherence to God's law and God's will, and instruction. That those things are faithfully communicated and practiced within the home or within the family from generation to generation. Right? This, again, this is an imperative. This is not optional. This is the charge given to fathers, but mothers also join in as helpers in the task of bringing up um, children into discipline and instruction of the Lord. This also, for many of us in this room who may be not married or not have children, not have their own children, this needs to be our attitudes towards the families in general, the families that sit amongst ourselves in the in the community of the local church. But this also needs to be what 
we endeavor for and we prepare for and we invest our lives in so that we too may join in this individually as well. Discipline means the whole training and education of children involves correction of straying hearts and minds. How well do you know the word of God? And you can apply that and recognize when discipline is needed. To what degree? On what topics? Can you be consistent in that? Can you be clear in that? This is not just for pastors and elders. This is for all, specifically fathers, but also mothers as well, for parents. They need, this is the standard and degree of their parenting. Can you discipline according to the word of God, to the word of God? Can you instruct? This is not just a communication of what God's law and God's word says, but it is also an appeal. I'm going to instruct you towards the word of God. This is what God says. This is what God requires. There's a dual purpose here of evangelism and sanctification because this requires a systematic explanation and exhortation to the things of God. You're addressing both the heart and minds of your children and calling them or bringing them up in discipline and instruction. This is a heavy and weighty task that is given to parents. This is right. This is the... And again, this is right in the Lord because this is the family unit, the societal unit that God has chosen and ordained for the presentation and propagation of his word, of his character throughout the generations. There's no alternatives. God, at the beginning in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, did not create Adam and Eve and 10 other friends to live together in a single apartment, right? Created Adam and Eve that out of them would come the next generation. God did not create Adam by himself who would replicate into Adam 2.0 and then into Adam 3.0, right? There was two complementary male-female that were joined together in one flesh. So as you noticed, I skipped part of verse 4. That was intentional, right? Why? It's because it's easy when you're dealing with hearts and minds and you're in a position of authority to do so in a way that is challenging for the one that is under your care and that is called to submit to you. Why is it challenging? Well, obviously, there's the over-exercise of that authority, physical and emotional abuse. I think that's clear, that's obvious, that's out of bounds for the parents, for fathers and mothers. There's no excuse for that within the home. But there's other ways in which parents uh, um, can fall short and can provoke to anger their children. When they are called to that standard of faithfully and completely living out and illustrating the word of God within the home, they can fail in the way of just being overprotective, not giving their children an opportunity to pursue faithfulness and fail in the process. Right, it's a it's a realistic view of what this call to discipleship, or what the call of discipleship is being given to the child. Right, it's being gracious. There's favoritism, especially with multiple siblings. Right, inevitably, there's always a favorite sibling. It's the one that caters to your idols. Right, that may change over time, but it's easy to do what comes easily. Right? It's easy to love the sibling 
that doesn't press your buttons or not sibling. Easy to love the child that doesn't press your buttons, right? It's easy to love the child that makes you look good or feel good. Again, that can provoke your children to anger because what you have done is you have distorted the standard of God in God's love and God's discipline. We've talked about unrealistic expectations. That also applies in terms of having unrealistic expectations of calling them to perfection, to be like Jesus. And that's incredibly frustrating and provocative when they don't have Christ. There's no way that they can be Christ-like. And we'll go through the rest of these quickly. You can discourage your children by not seeking out ways to encourage or approve their efforts. Um, you, can dis- you can provoke your children to anger by failing to sacrifice them, sacrifice for them. You, you invest in time apart from the children, whether it's work, whether it's even church work, whether it's your friends, whether it's your own entertainment, your own idolatries. Um, you use love or your attention as a manipulation tool. If you follow X, Y, and Z, then I will play games with you. If you cater to my needs, then I will spend time with you. But let's, talk, let's now rewind and talk about all of these areas of children and parents in a way that, that drives it home a little bit more, right? Because we could look at all this and say, well, that's fine and good. And we see how that fits in when the parents are believers and the children are raised up in a believing home. It's, it's straightforward in terms of what's, what you're supposed to do here, right? But then what happens when my parents aren't believers? What happens when my parents hate Christ? What happens when my parents aren't here and some of them have passed away? What do I do with that? Or what happens to, to those that are single? They're outside of the home. They're no longer dependent. Do they still need to obey their parents? Now, we don't have lots of time, so we'll try to cover them as fast as we can. So, first of all, for those that have unbelieving parents, and that, um, that was definitely true in my case, there is an idea that you obey them again in the Lord, and that requires discernment. So, in other words, this is, again, a call. You need to know the word. So you need to know where those boundaries are. Is this really honoring the Lord or not honoring the Lord? And then, and then within those bounds, do every, my encouragement and exhortation to you and what I believe is right is those parents are given to you by God. And if your desire is really to honor God, you would want to see your parents in Christ and, your, and yourself as their children in Christ. And if that's really your desire... What does that mean in terms of your relationship and and outreach to your parents? It means that they need to know Christ in order to really fulfill these things. So there needs to be a heart of evangelism and a a heart of compassion that your parents are going to be weighed up against this measure or this standard and they can't apart from Christ. So if you have unbelieving parents, desire their salvation, desire their sanctification in Christ, And that's a right desire for you as a child to want them to be able to speak into your life as a believer, as somebody that's older, more mature, even if the years are not there. As a parent, there's a heart for your children um, that comes naturally. That's the way God created us. But in the meantime, 
Again, this is in the books of Ephesians, or in the book of Ephesians. And so the Ephesians is addressed not only to individuals, but to the church as a whole, to be the visible and present representation of Christ on this world. And so for those with unbelieving parents, if you're not getting that righteous and holy, godly authority from your parents, continue to seek that, but also find that in the body of the local church. um, The local church is there to come alongside. That's an opportunity for local church to come alongside and to care for you by by being that um, presence, that authorial presence in your life of of godliness and godly care for you. For, in terms of, for those with single parents, again, that's an opportunity for a local church to come in and fill in the gaps. And that might not be present here or at this point in this church, but that should be a desire that if there's a broken home, the church always has that opportunity to come alongside and to be a gospel witness. Now, looking out here into the crowd, unless something has drastically changed, I would say a lot of you are unmarried, right? And so... You have two options here. One is you could say, this is talking to parents and children. I'm outside of my home. I don't really depend upon my parents now, so this doesn't apply to me. And you could walk away and wash your hands and go do your thing. I would say that's, that's unwise and that's foolish. And the re- there's several reasons why. One is, first and foremost, you're still part of the connected body of the local church. So your actions... And your testimony have a direct impact upon all of those around you. And, and that also includes the families that are around you as well. Um, how you're doing in the Lord, what you strive for, and what you invest in, and what comes out of your mouths, affects those people around you. Not only the marrieds that are around you, in your, in your, whether, it's, whether you realize or not, in your presence, um, but also the children. And not just what is expressed, but what is not expressed too. If you are not walking well, there's going to be a deficiency of godliness that is, that is palpable, that, is, that, that can be felt when somebody's not walking well. Right? And so as singles, you need to be aware of that, that there's a present impact that you have upon those around you. In terms of what you celebrate in, what you invest in. Um, and it doesn't mean that there's no room for grace. But it means that you're not excused from pursuing the things of God. All right? um, it means that if, if the family is the societal unit that God has ordained to be the primary way that his word is proclaimed and exemplified um, through the generations and to the world, that means that that should be something you celebrate. It should mean that you would want to see families in your presence live that out more faithfully. Right? You want so support the families around you. And it should mean that if you desire to be married, it should be something that you're preparing for. This is not some the commands that are given to parents to faithfully steward and and to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That doesn't happen by accident and that doesn't come easy because that will reveal um, not only how well you're walking in the Lord, but the consistency of that. So, in singleness is a is the wonderful is a wonderful time that you have 
to exercise that, work that out, and that's going to be demonstrated in what is the quality of your friendships around you. There's a proverb that says, well, not just a proverb. From the book of Proverbs, it says, um, those who walk with the wise shall be wise, and the companion of fools will suffer. That's a promise that's given, that extends even not just to singles, but for all of us. Whether you are, if you are foolish, if you are walking in defiance of God and you say in your own heart, God does not exist or God is not real or God is not relevant, you're a fool. And fools and the, fools and the companion of fools will suffer. Right? So it's God's grace that that doesn't happen right away. But you need to heed that command and walk in the wisdom of the Lord and practice these things. What do we need to practice these things? Obviously, we need the word, but we need to be spirit-filled to understand these things, to desire these things. We need to understand what the boundaries are. When 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 I was pursuing Naomi as my wife, my parents did not approve for all the wrong reasons. They said she was too involved in church, right? They said that she gave them a bad impression, and that was enough for them to say no, right? Um, and they were very adamant in that. That, that. They also said she caused me to be involved in church too much. She said she kept, um, she, they also blamed a, a number of other things upon her. Now you could very easily see, say, well, Teddy, if you get married to Naomi, you have left that family and you now cleave to a new family. So you don't need to worry about your parents. Right, And I think that's an easy excuse that neglects the responsibility and the opportunity that God has given to us in, our, in the parents that he has provided in our lives. What Naomi and I ended up doing is searching the scriptures and seeing that our parents are, are given to us by God. There ought to be a good relationship there in the Lord, especially if they are professing believers. But even if they aren't, there should be a desire to not give them any excuse to dishonor God or to defy God. And that would be the same encouragement that I would give for all of us as well. This is right in the Lord to have that child, parent-child relationship where the word of God is faithfully proclaimed, faithfully exhibited, and, and done so consistently from one generation to the next. That should be our present pursuit and practice. That should be our ambition and our goal and what we, um, what we seek to grow in individually and corporately together as a local church. Let's pray. And dear Father God, you have instituted families to look in this particular way with a father and a mother and with children, where the word of God and the, will and the image of God is faithfully proclaimed and exhibited day in, day out, in every manner of life, and not necessarily perfectly, but faithfully, consistently, humbly, to not only be proclaimed, but also be received, and all of that to be a picture to ourselves and to a watching world of Christ and and his church, of the Father and of the Son, whose food was to obey and to live out the word and the will of the Father, I pray that that would be the same sensibilities and the sensitivities that we would have as well. To know that you are 
our governing authority in all things, God, that you are our sovereign Lord, and that everything is under your sovereign care. And all of these people here and all the people that you place in our lives are not just opportunities to glorify you, God, but even the authorities that they would exercise and be present in our lives come from you. And whether it be an unbelieving parent who says something right about you, even if that's once in their lifetime, that is still your truth, God. And may we recognize it for what it is and give you honor and glory and praise. And for those relationships that are broken, whether it be parents that fail us, whether it be children that defy us, may our desire not just not be to excuse ourselves from these the calls that you've given to us and the commands you've given to us to live faithfully in the context of family. But may we seek out your, our greater obedience to your word and to the, the picture of the family as it ought to be. A, un, um, a united family that, are, that pursues your honor and your glory, that explains and instructs and reveals your word faithfully, also that you may be greatly praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.